This is The Guardian. Wir präsentieren die neue Wörtuhr, Teil der Diesel Metamorph Kollektion. Konzipiert mit Virtual Reality Technologie, um ein einzigartig organisches und futuristisches Erscheinungsbild zu schaffen. Mit einem Armbanddesign, inspiriert von Reptilienwirbeln, einschließlich eines Gehäuses aus silberfarbenem Edelstahl. Zusätzlich können Sie exklusive NFTs für Ihre Sammlung freischalten, die Ihnen den Zugang zu einer virtuellen Welt ermöglichen. Besuchen Sie de.diesel.com, um die Metamorph-Kollektion zu entdecken. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, an EFL-Pod for you Leicester City and Ipswich Town already. With a tiny bit of breathing space between them and the chasing pack in the championship. Lots of stories below them. What in the Rowitz are Birmingham City doing? Is Sheffield Wednesday's owner really taking his ball home with him? In League One, with Cambridge delaying their playoff push for now, it's Portsmouth and Oxford leading the way. If the sides are doing well, it's Stevenage who are punching above their weight. While at the bottom, will Cheltenham's first goal of the season open some Timo Werner-style floodgates? Notts County are top of League Two, but it's enjoyably tight. We'll touch on Gillingham and Bradford letting go of their managers. We'll bring you good news about Southend and Scunthorpe reveals surprisingly little rage about the pod's feelings on dogs there's your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly on the panel today ben fisher welcome hi max new celebrity ben fisher we should say we'll get to that bit uh, in a bit george Elek from not the top 20 podcast hello hello max and sani radravajala welcome sani uh, hello uh, ben says, are the pod aware of football existing in this country, but outside the Premier League? Thank you, Ben. You're the reason why we're doing this podcast. Uh, um, we'll start the championship. Mark says, not a question, but an observation. As a Leicester fan, I'm amazed by the lack of quality in the championship. Despite losing all our stars, we've won 10 out of 11 without playing well. Their only plan is to park the bus. No surprise, three of the bottom four in the Premier League are the promoted teams. George, this feels like an attack at the direct fibre of your being. (laughs) How do you feel? I saw this uh, question come in and I was amazed by the amazement of a Leicester fan that the gap is is that big. Like... uh... I think when you consider the massive financial disparity between the Championship and the Premier League that's that's ever growing, when you consider the parachute payments that um, the teams that get relegated are in possession of, and when you also consider that this team that's lost all of its stars at Leicester still has uh, Connor Cody, Harry Winks, Jamie Vardy, Kelechi Inacho, Kin and Dewsbury Hall, like that is an embarrassment of riches, not to mention the likes of Steffi Mavadividi as well. So like... You know, the, the the quality of the, the squads that come down, even when they're gutted, is still incredibly high. I would definitely agree that there is a huge gap between the, the Premier League and uh, the Championship at the moment. You only have to look at the three promoted teams from last season in, in Burnley, uh, Luton and Sheffield United and their starts in the Premier League to see that. Um, but, you know, in terms of their only tactics are to park the bus... I think part of that is because Leicester have an incredibly talented squad with Enzo Maresca, a manager who's implementing a very um, expansive style of play with with footballers who are just generally more technically gifted than their opposition. So what are they meant to do? Like, even though Leicester's start to the season has been very good, if Stoke, for example, uh, came out and played a high line and aggressively tried to, um, you know, dominate possession against Leicester. I think they'd have been picked off pretty easily. A good stat, though, um, from that Leicester-Stoke game is that um, 
Yannick Vestergaard, the uh, Leicester centre-back, completed 186 passes on Saturday's 2-0 win over Stoke, whereas Stoke as a whole team completed 215. So that gives you an idea of how that game looked. So that was a sort of long way of saying Mark's question was stupid. Stupid. But, you know, polite Mark. We value you as a listener. Stupid, stupid, stupid and correct. Right, okay. (laughs) Like, he is right. But but the, but but the amazement is um, I, I'm surprised that uh, you know a, a, that there's any surprise that a team with that many stars is dominating games at the level. I mean, stupid and correct is sort of a good tagline for this podcast quite often. Um, ben, what are you know what? How is this expansive style working for Leicester? Yeah, and, and I mean, I think it is quite impressive what what Maresca's doing. It's a bit like company, I suppose, last year where maybe they didn't get as much credit for what so. Burnley and company maybe didn't get quite as much credit at the time for what they were doing and Maresca this time at Leicester because it's kind of expected. Uh, but actually the the system is quite a change from what's gone before. And also, I mean, George mentioned Vestergaard there. I think it's really interesting some of the players that are actually playing and the kind of thrust in heart of this team. Um, Vestergaard being one of them. This is a guy who was totally frozen out by Brendan Rodgers, was training alone last season. Leicester couldn't couldn't wait to get rid of him, really wanted to get rid of him, couldn't do so. And he's a really fundamental part of this team now. Uh, people like James Justin, Patson Dacker, who would walk into other teams, can't, you know, are kind of on the periphery. You know, Dacker was going to get a Premier League move to Bournemouth on deadline day, which fell through. And, you know, this is a guy now who's, who's barely playing in the championship. So I think... The players Maresca is actually using is is really interesting. It's not like it's an amazing squad, but on the face of it, I suppose he's not always using those sort of the what we would maybe count as his best eleven. Um, you know, indeed he's been on the bench. There's quite a lot of rotation, and yeah, I think he deserves a lot of credit for changing the style. We're seeing you know inverted fullbacks, you know, straight out of the kind of Guardiola kind of textbook, which I suppose is no surprise given Maresca's uh, relationship in time with with Guardiola and Manchester City, but um. Yeah, I think Maresca's doing a really good job. Just sad image of Yannick Vestergaard just on his own, just doing his shuttle runs, just kicking a ball. It's like in the pandemic where I bought one of those Velcro things, you know, that you could have put a ball in so I could kick it and it would come back to me because you couldn't play with anyone else. Mate, it, it didn't look as good when I had it than, than the Instagram advert. Sorry, Sandy, you had your hand raised. Uh, well, ju- just that I was at... Um... Leicester's 4-1 win at Blackburn for Five Live uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and it was funny because it's almost like all all the time that Leicester fans have gone through all that pain in the Premier League and what if you just dropped down a level and you could have a bit of fun and that, and that's basically what happened like they weren't amazing for all of it but just that quality could just grind players down and people down and you know and Didi had a great game that game um and Jamie Vardy with a brilliant finish and I know uh, one fan has has tweeted a, a photo of Wilfred and Didi looking in the mirror and the reflection is uh, Zinedine Zidane which I think means they've got carried away. But this gives you an idea that, you know, you've got decent players at a level that's clearly slightly below where they could be uh, and they're just having fun. Uh, and no more though, so than um, Jamie Vardy, who, who scored against Blackburn and then cupped his ears to the opposition fans, had been giving his wife some stick the whole game. I mean, you know, he's he's the elder statesman of that team, but he's still, he's still got that streak in him, hasn't he? And at the same time, right? So they're 30 points. They've won 10, lost one of their 11. Ipswich in second is a different story, George, isn't it? Because they don't have... The parachute payments, I don't know how much you can tell me they've invested millions and millions. They've obviously got this manager, Kieran McKenna, who is brilliant. 
And their start has been sensational. It has been amazing. I mean, they're owned by a, I think it's an Arizona pension fund. They're owned by a pension fund of, of some right. um, description in, in America where, where the, you know, the investment has that, been... That's a glamorous owner, by the way. It's been, yeah. <laughs> an Arizona pension fund. It's been, <laughs> a, a, but the investment has been like sizable, especially in, in League One terms uh, last season. There's no denying that. But what they've done in this campaign, I think, is, is a sign of, of what good coaching can do. We um, on the podcast do our one to twenty fours every season, and we had Ipswich in third, and we had so many like neutral championship fans messaging us, being like, "What are you talking about? This is ridiculous!" Like they're looking at their squad, the players aren't good enough. And I think in Ipswich, you've got an example of how getting a united and settled squad together um, with a, a coach in Kieran McKenna who has a very clear idea of how he wants to play. You can. And in himself is somebody who can develop talent to a whole new level. Like you look at Connor Chaplin, who has had a fairly long career at EFL level. He's been at Coventry, he's been at Portsmouth, and he's never really kind of consistently been the main man. At Ipswich now, he looks like one of the best attacking players in the whole of the EFL. And that is thanks to playing in a system that has um, been implemented to suit him. It's by working with coaches who are elevating his, his level of play. It's not just McKenna. I know Lee Grant, who's part of um, McKenna's coaching staff, is very, very highly thought of in the game at the moment and is someone who uh, I think is probably set to have his own management career at some point. And, and they are the product of um, just good coaching. And right now, you know, it's interesting when you look at them in Leicester, where the style of play isn't necessarily that different. You know, Ipswich is still a very expansive side. Their games are very high scoring. They score a lot of goals. They're very good at home. But if you look at the actual um, profiles of the players themselves, they couldn't be more different. You know, League One, um, the majority of, of minutes played by the, the Ipswich side have been in League One recently. Players like Massimo Luongo and Sam Morsi in their early 30s and have never really played in the, in the Premier League before or looked like the players that they are now. So in Leicester, you've got an example of how to do it if you're coming down from the Premier League. But in Ipswich, you've got the blueprint, I would say, for aspirational clubs in the top end of League One and the rest of the Championship to say... Now, just because parachute payments exist, that doesn't mean that with the correct investment um, and the correct appointment and being brave, you can still elevate your your, your team's performance to challenge at the top end of the championship. Like the idea of retirement homes across Arizona on the eye follow, <laughs> watching watching the tractor boys there, you know, with their you know, sort of nice visor, do the aqua aerobics, and then they're in to Ipswich which town. Um, um, below them, Ben, I mean, like Preston have what lost their last three? They started brilliantly. Um, but I've, I mean, do we think they will start to slip now? Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if I think they're kind of they'll do well to get in the playoffs. Um, I think they do amazing on a fairly uh, modest budget. Um, I've got a lot of time for Ryan Lowe. I think, I think, and and the way they run, uh, I think, is really impressive. But I wouldn't expect them necessarily to to be in third at the end of the season. I think we should talk about Leeds as well. I think um, what Daniel Farker has done there and inherited was. It's quite a mess, to be honest. Obviously, there's a lot of off-field change, um, a lot of on-field change. Some players that we maybe thought would uh, leave have stuck around and that brings its own problems. And, you know, Leicester and Southampton are in that same boat as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I, was at, I was at the Leeds game um, on Saturday against Bristol City. Uh, and yeah, like we said about Leicester, like that, that feel-good um, vibe. You know, like um, Crescencio Somerville, you know, couldn't quite be consistent enough in the Premier League, but he had, he had a really fun time. Jorginho Rutter is, is like a classic flair player for the championship. Like he'll, he'll beat three men and, and spray a ball out wide. He'll also, uh, as he did against Bristol City, miss a sitter shinning it over from two yards. Um, uh, uh, just a bit of everything. And um, yeah, Ar- Archie Gray, 
uh, I actually was watching him and I was like, a 17-year-old? I, hadn't, I didn't know too much about him. And I just tweeted, oh yeah, does it lead to playing this kid, Archie Gray? He started at right back. He's gone into central midfield, 17, quite tall, but he really is short on the ball, really confident on the ball. Uh, and then I had a message from one of my um, assistant editors who's a Leeds fan saying, oh, actually, it's the son of Andy Gray, former Berry Loney, uh, and of course Leeds, uh, and the um, nephew, great nephew, I think, of uh, Eddie Gray. So he comes from this this lineage of uh, of Leeds players. Uh, he's also got a younger brother as well. Uh, and yeah, the, the kids the kids love him. After the game, I was in the car park and he was just screaming, Archie, Archie. And I, and I met him and I said, you know, well done. Because he'd had such a really nice, a really good game. And also you think at that age, 17, a local lad, everybody kind of loves you. What, what's his kind of vibe? But actually he's really down to earth. Um, and, you know, a player that clearly Daniel Farker really trusts. So as well as those Premier League players that they've got uh, and a couple of you know, this exciting rutter as well. They are playing some young players. And I know um, Farker said it was one of the youngest Leeds lineups they'd ever fielded uh, in that win. So, yeah, lots of excitement there. Uh, still got Ilan Millier in goal. So, you know, that could go either way. But, yeah, lots of excitement for Leeds. We talk about Birmingham, George. Um, the, the statement on John Eustace, bearing in mind they were sixth. Oh, they are sixth. That it's essential that the board of directors in the football management are fully aligned on the importance of implementing a winning mentality and a culture of ambition across the entire football club. With this in mind, Birmingham City has today parted company with head coach. A new first team manager will be announced in the coming days who will be responsible for creating an identity and clear no-fear playing style that all Birmingham City teams will adopt and embrace. And I sort of re- referred to it in the intro. I remember interviewing Gary Rower at Birmingham when they were, they might have been sixth or seventh, doing so well. And there was just... And he'd done so well at that club. And then out of nowhere, Zola came in and it was an absolute disaster. And it just seems, you know, Rooney might be a good manager, might not be, the jury is still out. This seems insane what they're doing. Yeah, it definitely does. That statement is basically the product of what happens when you sit in a room with some marketing people and you say, how do we sack a manager who's got us in sixth position? He's won two games in the last week. We'll use loads of really woolly terms and intangibles to try and justify why... We're basically getting rid of someone who isn't our guy. Like, firstly, I, I think Eustace can feel incredibly hardly harshly done by. The good thing for him is that his stock is very high. I, I think he'll have absolutely no issue at all. Get walking into uh, another job, and, and by no means a worse job. He's currently favourite for the Rangers job, which I don't think he was necessarily in contention for at the time of his sacking. But I think Rangers definitely had shown interest before, and maybe that news has, has triggered them to go and speak to him. If if it's not Rangers, it'll be you would think a worse than mid-table championship job. But I feel sorry for the Birmingham fans who have had to deal with this before, as you say, under Gary Rowett, um, who, you know, have always looked back on that and thought, what if? And now they're thinking, is this going to be another what if moment where a manager has got us into a position to be for once challenging at the top end of the championship and a new ownership group has decided that um, this isn't what we want. I think as fans though, I'm actually in shameless plug time, but I'm writing an article today for ntt20.com which is the EFL newsletter where I'm I'm basically talking about the perception of managers and how at the moment through social media particularly everyone has an opinion on managers and it's normally based on probably a 30 second look at a Wikipedia page like yesterday Mark Goldbridge was tweeting about John Eustace being sat from Birmingham and what a disgrace it was like you know when you've got YouTubers under pseudonyms passing judgment from Manu fan accounts about managers in the championship. You have to question uh, what do these people actually really know beyond a league position? Like a, a manager's job 
in itself has to come with so many different facets apart from just pure points per game like we don't understand the relationships between people behind the scenes we don't know what the relationship is like between the new ownership group in Eustace we don't know what the relationship is like between Eustace and, and the players so th- there comes a time where you say yes Eustace has been hardly, harshly treated yes Birmingham fans you have to feel sorry for them that they're going through this again but at the same time we aren't privy to all, all the information that goes into making these decisions we always all of us you know it's the one reference point that everyone goes back to is when there was that uproar when Nigel Adkins was sat from Southampton and they replaced him with this guy called Maurizio Pochettino who turned out to be okay. Like We will have to see. In Rooney, I think at Derby, he came out with, with a lot of credit from that job uh, despite taking him down after point deductions. Like, he did incredibly well under difficult circumstances. He doesn't have um, Liam Rossini as his assistant manager anymore who himself is having a very good time at Hull. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but you've got Tom Brady and um, Wayne Rooney now seemingly at Birmingham. So it'll be interesting to see who they add next. Maybe Roger Federer will come in fairly soon to design their kits. Certainly, there's a, there's an interesting... Uh, the Monday Night Club are having an interesting conversation about this, about the sort of Wrexham effect and this idea that specifically private equity companies, and Birmingham are owned by one of them, you know, are looking for, you know, profit, right? They're looking to make money. And famous people mean you could get a documentary or you could, like get a bit more interest very quickly without actually doing anything behind the scenes. I'm not saying Rooney is that kind of manager, as George has alluded to. Like He stuck in at Derby, didn't he? But still, I, I think that's quite an interesting idea that that could be a thing. Yeah, and football clubs famously don't tend to make money. <laughs> like, of course, you know, yeah. How often, have we seen, how, how often have we seen that? Yeah, of course, if you've got a really profitable... You know, the world's biggest club like Man United and you're the Glazers and of course you can you can find ways and means but yeah it's it's weird isn't it it, it kind of there's a bit of a tally here uh stick with me on this on 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 Sky on the weekend having a game mode camera for the uh Arsenal game and it was like a tracking camera on a on a little train and it's like you know how much can football then feel like the media part that you like like how much can buying a football club feel like the TV shows that Apple are making and the documentaries, you know what I mean? Like it's the, it's the tail wagging the dog. Can we, can we get into football the the wrong way around? <laughs> it's, it's quite bizarre. Um, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it could well work. I, I did, by the way, just double check, go, speaking of Wikipedia, remind ourselves what happened when Zola did come in at Birmingham City 2016. They were seventh Birmingham outside of playoffs and goal difference. Um, he only won two games in 24 games uh, and they finished three points just above the relegation zone before he was he was sacked. So that that's genuinely the worst thing that can ever happen. I, I'm sure Rooney won't be as bad as that. But yeah, it's, it's a really strange idea that you can just come out of nowhere and buy a club because you want to make a TV documentary off the back mm. of it. You want to sell NFTs or something. I don't know. It's It's really weird. Ben, you spotted, I don't know if it was you, but in your article saying, you know, Wayne Rooney's son, 13-year-old son, Kai, recently followed Gary Gardner, Neil Etheridge, and the Birmingham City Community Trust on Instagram, which is either a huge coincidence or a, a tale, a real tell. He's unfollowed now, hasn't he, as well? Oh, has he? Has he unfollowed those? All right. I'm, I'm sad enough to think, I think those those guys have actually still <laughs> made the cut, but some others that have been... Uh... Mark Roberts has gone. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like, George... That Rooney isn't very pizzazzy. Do you know what I mean? He, like he's, he's got a touch of the Grant McCann's about him as a manager. Do you know what I mean? Like the sort of gruff, tracksuited, beardy guy. I, I know it's Wayne Rooney, but like he's not like arrive and be like, look at me in my glittery suit. Like it's just not. 
that's not him really and like so to, to his credit that isn't him yeah i mean the the photo of him and brady um will be quite a juxtaposition in terms of the, the way that they uh, kind of <laughs> gone about their um personal styling off the back of their their retirements um yeah, and also there's this whole no fear playing mentality. Like I, as I said, I was a, a kind of a fan of what Rooney did at, at Derby. I think he deserved a lot of credit, but I, it was fairly pragmatic <laughs> in terms of like the playing style. It wasn't um, aggressive. Like I mean, one of my least favorite phrases in football is, is "handbrake off," as if you know people think it's so easy just to kind of take off the handbrake and let players just all run forward in a straight line, and that's going to yield results. But that the, you know it was measured. It was fairly high press, um, but not. Like aggressively so it was fairly possession heavy but not particularly attacking um, it wasn't that dissimilar to what we've seen from Eustace at Birmingham I would argue I think there's a there are some really exciting players um, at Birmingham at the moment you've got um, Stansfield on loan from Fulham who's a really really good footballer I'm sure has a, a future there Um also, Siriki Dembele, who's one of the best ball-carrying uh, attackers in the league. So there's there's the tools to work with for Rooney. But, you know, at, at Derby, Rooney had some some quality players too that he brought on very quickly. So, um, yeah, it, as I say, I think if, if Eustace had not won those two games, say they got no points from the from the, from the the six. Like it, in fairness, a few weeks ago, there were Birmingham fans, and a small proportion, I should say, before any, anyone gets annoyed, there were some Birmingham fans who were starting to question whether or not Eustace was the man to take them forward. I think those became quiet after the good the, the good recent run. But um, yeah, I mean, basically, if, if Eustace had lost those games, then no one would be questioning this appointment. But as it stands now, it looks uh, very hard to justify. Very excited about another night of the realm following Sir Sir Jaurier. Sir Ricky Dembele is uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know, his services to football already. Um, should talk about Sheffield Wednesday, Ben. Their owner, Dejan Chansiri, said he won't put any more money into the club. I'm the one who saved the club and spent the money for the club. I'm the one who needs to pay around £2 million on average every month. Some fans need to have more respect for owners or clubs and not be so selfish, thinking of their own benefit without doing anything good to the club. Those fans who create trouble to the club and myself and believe that they are the real owner of the club need to be responsible for the financial matters of the club from now on. Um, it's not sort of the ideal thing you want to hear from a, an owner, is it? No, not conducive uh, to, to any anything uh, anything positive. Obviously, it's been a really miserable start. Uh, Chen Series obviously sacked Cisco. Um, remains to be seen who who they get into his his replacement. Danny Roll, who was an assistant to uh, Ralph Harson, who took Southampton, has been linked. He also worked uh, with the Germany national team set up. Um, Cisco, I think, was on a hiding to nothing because basically of this backdrop where Chancery, you know, you just can't help but uh, create problems that kind of don't exist really or certainly exacerbate kind of minor issues. Um, fans have obviously been unhappy with the way Darren Moore left the club. He obviously came up against Wednesday uh, last weekend when they, with Huddersfield, they drew nil-nil. Um, as I think I said before on, on here, I wasn't really surprised that Moore left. I think that was felt a little bit inevitable behind the scenes, the, the tensions there. Um, Cisco seemed a, a reasonable appointment, but let's face it, the squad is is poor. Um, I know in terms of recruitment, they, they got Luke Dowling in to, to try and help. He used to work at West Brom. Um, but, you know, again, I think he, he, had a, <laughs> he was climbing a sort of, you know, difficult uh, mountain there because... What they came up with was, was a, a really poor, I'd say just a, a League One uh, team. They haven't really strengthened uh, or sufficiently. And to, to be honest, to be where they are is where I'd expect them to be. But yeah, Chansiri, 
coming out with statements like that is not exactly helping things. There's a, also an issue with Chancery. I mean, there are a lot of issues with Chancery, and I think it's important for Wednesday fans um, that we outline those. And he's a different kind of of bad owner in inverted commas where he, the, the level of investment in the in the club is is by no means um minimal like he's he's not not supportive in that sense it's more that you know someone made the point to me uh, recently that he he's the chairman of Sheffield Wednesday and the owner but th- there isn't a board so how can he be the chairman if there's no board like it's it's just chancery like he is the person that makes the decisions ben mentioned Luke Dowling there like he was Again, it was a weird scenario where he was reported in the local press that he was helping out with the recruitment. It was never announced. He has no position at the club right now. Like, did it actually happen? Or did he take one look around and think to himself, actually, you know what? I'm better off away from here. And you know, for, for Danny Roll to be linked to this job, if you're a 34-year-old up-and-coming coach who's worked with Ralph Aftenhutel and Hansi Flick, I personally, and this is no disrespect to Sheffield Wednesday, as a football club, you know, under a different owner, it would be an incredible job. But right now, I don't see why you would go and work for a club where there's so much instability, where your boss seems to fall out with anyone that he speaks to, who has a terrible relationship with the fan base. You know, he even, you know, in that statement, he said he wasn't going to invest any more money in the club. And then he broke that promise by sacking a manager a week later. Like, it's just, it is, it is it's, it's really sad to see. And, you know, I, I think personally that, Sheffield Wednesday are far worse this season than they were last season. You know, under Darren Moore, with some stability there, some continuity, they got 96 points in the in League One, which normally would, would win the league. And they've come up, the, the recruitment has been all over the place. And Cisco, they appointed a manager who, you know, in terms of, of a succession plan from Darren Moore, I didn't see how it made sense at all. And, and, and they've dropped off hugely. Like, for this is a job for, for Neil Warnock. And not that he'd necessarily take it, but not for, for Danny Roll in terms of just firefighting and finding some way to amass just the amount of points needed to stay up. Um, a word, Sunny on QPR, also struggling and it seems to be sort of perennially struggling these days. Yeah, and the last time we we focused on EFL and I was on, we, we, we talked about Gareth Ainsworth and kind of these rambling post-match interviews. I mean, it's kind of gone past that point now, hasn't it? 4-0 defeat. Um, on the weekend against Blackburn Rovers, and just just not at it at all. I mean, to be fair to him, like the, the squad they've got and the players he's got and the lineup he's having to field isn't anywhere near um, a, a decent Championship lineup. But yeah, the record the record is so bad at the moment. I've got the stats here. I mean, they yet to win at home in any competition. Uh, no wins now in the last six games. Uh, the top scorer has three. So overall, it, it's really bad. And I know. If you know, if you're not going to win your home games, you're always walking into this mutinous situation. You know, and I've I've been in that situation as a fan, and you're kind of going because you just feel you have to go, and even though you know it's going to be terrible. But what what then makes it worse is if you lose heavily, at some point you just snap <laughs> and you just go you go completely irrational and get very angry. Um, and this has happened increasingly if you're a QPR fan. I mean, you know, he he, he that this persona he's got with the long hair and the tight shirt and the leather and all that I think that's always been one of his ways of taking the pressure off the players and deflecting a little bit and it worked really well at Wickham you know he was that rock and roll manager it clearly hasn't worked for me here he's an ex-player he's got all that um, goodwill but I think that's pretty much exhausted so unless there's a a monumental turnaround. I'm really surprised if he's if he's in. But having said that, it's Quimmott's international break. Great time to change a manager, as we've seen throughout the, the EFL, and, and he's still there. Uh, all right, that'll do for part one. Apologies if we haven't mentioned your team. Um, please yell at us. Uh, we'll do League One in just a second.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going on tour. Sell out in Bristol, Ben, when they heard that you were popping on to deliver an anecdote. Um, but tickets still available on the 13th of November in London. Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Claire joining me and Barry. Uh, on the 15th, John Bruin, Nader Manuha, and the Will Unwin anecdote. And the live stream is going around the world. Nicky Bandini, Johnny Lou, me and Baz. Um, so go to theguardian.com slash Tour 23 at League One. Uh, Dean says, do you believe League One is weaker this year than in previous years? It's a different, it's not the same person asking the question last time, George. Uh, um, hence why Pompey and Oxford are doing far better than in, in recent years. Ben, do you have League One being a, a worse league than last year? I suppose I suppose some big sides went up, didn't they, last year? Yeah, I, I think I would probably concur with that. My mind goes back to the comments, I think I might have mentioned before, of Ian Everett at Bolton, where he just said, you know, we should be going for this because it's quite open. Um, I'd definitely go along with that. And I think Stevenage aside, the, the top six, top seven is probably uh, the teams you maybe would have picked to be to be up there. Um, obviously, Portsmouth uh, going really well, top of the league. Um, and I think in... Uh, John Messino, they have a really interesting uh, manager, head coach. Uh, I think he was an interesting appointment, somebody of quite impressive standing in the game, the ex-PFA chair. Um, and they've recruited really well, so all of it seems quite a good mix. Regan Paul, who's who's back in the Wales squad this week, um, has performed really well for them. And they've, they've got some players there who probably feel they should be in the championship as well. So I, I think it's a it's a good mix, but I think they are an example of the of a club and clubs that are trying to basically take advantage of that um, sort of openness and, and take the chance to to get promoted. Yeah, so Portsmouth top of the league, uh, Oxford in second, bit of a gap to Barnsley, Stevenage, Peterborough, disappointingly Bolton uh, and uh, Wickham uh, who make up the top seven. Well, it's only you know it's, it's the top six is the important one, I guess. Um, look, last time we chatted, George. You'd just been humbled at the Abbey, Oxford United. Since then, you could argue you've gone on a better run than us. Um, <laughs> so, like, I mean, you didn't look great when you played us, but you had a lot of the ball, you looked like some nice players. It's all clicked. We um, we came into that Cambridge game, I think, after a good pre-season, thinking we'd already won the league. And in my mind, being beaten 2-0 was probably, it's a bit of a cliche, it's probably the best thing that could have happened because Oxford it, it brought Oxford back down to earth cleared out the complacency and then since then they've won um I think it's yeah won nine of, of ten games since then just to defeat Port Vale um Liam Manning's doing an incredible job and, and, I, and I totally agree with Ben like the, the league is is so open this season when you consider the teams that have come out of the division you know last year it was Ipswich um who'll always be at the top end as will Sheffield Wednesday Plymouth Argyle who are one of the best run clubs in the country prior to that we saw Sunderland get promoted Rotherham who always seem to go up when they're in league one um so and none of the teams that came up on paper, at least, looked like they could be challenging at the top end. Although at the moment, Stevenage absolutely looked like genuine top six challenges. Um, so that plays a part. Added to that, Derby, who were the pre-season favourites for the title, uh, have looked very poor. You know, Paul Warren isn't um, having the desired effect that he normally has in terms of getting promotion out of the league. Uh, and even Bolton looked uh, like a, a step down from last season, having lost uh, James Trafford and Connor Bradley, the loanees. So it, it is open. Um, I wonder if, you know, Pompey... Unbelievably, you know, their their unbeaten run goes back to March. Um, but they have won, well, they've won five of their last six, and they've gone behind in five of their last six as well, uh, and 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 not and come back and won uh, five of those. So um, that itself is impressive. 
will they be able to continue to come back from behind? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, for Oxford, I was there on Saturday and the Bristol Rovers were the better side, uh, especially in the first half in that game, as anyone who's listened to Joey Barton's interview afterwards will know. Um, and, and again, it feels like even though Oxford's form has been very good, maybe for both of them, uh, this kind of level of, of points tally is, is possibly unsustainable with the likes of uh, certainly Peterborough, who have looked impressive this season. Uh, Barnsley, uh, Bolton, others uh, looking to chase them down. I watched uh, uh, Barnsley beat us 4-0 and actually it was a pretty tight game. I mean, I, it's really, ridiculous. they've got a, I mean, for us stats now, they've got a negative expected goals uh, yeah. ratio this season. Um, they're, they're, I think Devante Cole has scored about 14 goals from four expected. Like it does feel like maybe uh, yeah. they are relying on a hot streak of finishing. It was like a game where it was a really sort of even game and then they just kept scoring and then the game would yeah. carry on. You're like, that doesn't seem... Fair. They um, did it on, on opening day. They did it against Port Vale on seven 0 as well. Yes, kind of that's similar. right. Um, how are Stevenage doing so well, Sonny? Well, it's it's quite amazing, isn't it? Because they, I've just kind of, well, the, the, so the, what I'm what I'm struggling with is it to try and not go down the usual Stevenage cliche of direct play, which is kind of what they've done. Uh, and what they well, do... Well, you're allowed to. You're allowed to. Look, well, we encourage, the manager, we like, encourage you know. getting it launched. We encourage it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but that's the thing, you know, they are fairly direct and they are still doing that. And it seems to work really well. And you think about the teams around them and the budget they've got, they they just seem to have had a, a really good core of players. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the Lamex, which itself is just, you know, just a generic, quite small stadium. Sorry, Stevenage. Um, but yeah, overall, just doing really well. I, I'm really surprised. I didn't think they would do as well. I mean, we've seen teams come up from League Two and they've got that core of players and they've got the momentum and we've seen them do really well. But yeah, I, I'm not quite sure why they are this good other than just surprising teams, but they really shouldn't be. I'll, I'll put it to the rest of the panel. I don't know. I would just say, I think Steve Evans does deserve an awful lot of credit. And also, you know, this is a guy who's Managed an awful lot of games. Managed at various levels, uh, championship level. He knows what he's doing. He know he knows how to make it difficult for teams. And I think ultimately we're seeing that. And you know, we said it's an open league. They came up with loads of momentum. A bit like Ipswich in the championship. Um, what sort of George alluded to earlier. I think there's so much to be said for teams that kind of have that element of stability. Especially you know we've seen it this week with Birmingham and Eustace. I think if you can hold on to that kind of core and, you know, all those things that teams are good at and Stevenage and Steve Evans have certainly done that, then it can take you a long way. They're, they're also just a throwback to, to what League One sides basically used to be. And I think there's room for that. You know, now these days, most sides, let's try and get it on the ground and play it. Most sides are full of basically released Premier League Academy graduates who've been coached and nurtured to play a certain way. So when you've suddenly got a, a team in Stevenage who basically bypass midfield and are incredibly efficient from set pieces and will will basically dominate every game physically um it makes it a different test one you're not used to and it was interesting last season Stevenage basically beat every team they played in the first half of the campaign and then it was when they came back and played them a second time their record was much worse almost as if like teams once said had to live through it once then understood what the challenge was going to be and, <laughs> and got better at, at dealing with it but I, I think unless that happens again you know Stevenage in my mind at least are not there by luck they're not it's not just a fast start that won't continue. They are one of the most effective teams in the league and, and I'd be surprised if they're not in the picture for a top six finish at the end of the season. So so what we're saying is that Stevenage are the new Wimbledon and we'll soon be seeing Steve Evans taking them to an FA Cup final. Is that what we're wow. saying? In a sombrero, <laughs> maybe. <Yeah. laughs> Mike says, can Cheltenham Town go on and win the League One title now they've got their first goal of the season? Yeah, they scored 
um, the weekend against uh, Derby. They didn't celebrate, Ben, quite as wildly as I hoped they would. Maybe it wasn't enough games. Maybe, you know, I was hoping they might go 38 games or 40 games without a goal, but they just didn't. The guy who scored was like, yeah, I do this all the time. You know, well, no, yeah. you, honestly, you definitely don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I did a piece when it was 10 league games without a goal. Then it, they made it 11 and obviously the 12th time of asking, they, they got the job done. Um, obviously, a point against Derby. You know, I agree with you. I, I did think Rob Street looked a little bit confused. There was a bit of a finger wagging and a bit of a jump. It was a sort of amalgamation of um, sort of half, half-baked celebrations, really. But um, yeah, first league goal in 1,031 minutes. Um, and they'd actually gone even, I think it was 15 or 14 or 15 games in all competitions before that because uh, their only goal in the EFL trophy was actually scored by Bristol Rovers defender. So that was a Mr. Own goal. Um, but yeah, Daryl Clark said, you know, now we've got the monkey off our backs. Uh, hopefully they can kind of kick on. And, that, you know, that, that's, face it, that's, that's a good point. At home to Derby, um, one, one of the, you know, biggies in the league. Um, Daryl Clark rocked up at his... Uh, first press conference after his first training session with a pair of Copa Mundials on. So I've got a lot of time for that. And uh, I do think, you know, I don't think they could have got a much better appointment given the, the grim situation they're in, you know, bottom of the league. So my only concern would be, you know, is it too late? Uh, the squad is pretty thin. Um, but I don't think we can kind of castigate Cheltenham for, for struggling. Obviously, you know, dreadful start in terms of not scoring a goal. But, um, you know, they're, they're victims of their own success, really. You know, Michael Duff did brilliantly to to get them up. Wade Elliott did a great job last season. Unfortunately, didn't didn't um, work this year. But, um, yeah, they're victims of their own success, really. You know, they're massively punching above their weight, even to be in League One. Uh, so Cheltenham are bottom. Wigan, 23rd. They've obviously had that points deduction. Actually start the season quite well, but have lost four on the bounce then Reading and then Fleetwood. You'd sort of expect, expect Fleetwood to be down there. You'd think George Wigan would have enough. And Reading are an interesting situation. Aren't they? Ruben Sellers is a sort of... I watched when Cambridge on Monday Night Football the first time against Reading where we won. So I can talk about that one, not the defeat to Burton last night. Um, I was like, this is, must be weird for Ruben Sellers. You know, beat City in the Carabao last season and now you're here at, our, at the, at the Abbey. That was Nathan Jones who beat, beat City at the Carabao. Oh, was it Nathan Judge? It was, wasn't mm. it? Forgive me. Forgive me. I didn't, Can't yeah, take that away from him. There's nothing left. No, no, you're absolutely right. My apologies. Anyway, Ruben Sellers, who probably played some big teams when he was in the Premier League, still works, sort of. Um, lots of Grimsby in the FA Cup. Yeah, but it's not working for him, is it? I mean, there's lots of problems off the field there. There are lots of problems off the field. Yeah, and I think, again, I feel like I keep having to come out to bat for, for fan bases, having done Birmingham, Sheffield Wednesday, and now Reading. But, um, you know, the owner is... You know the ownership is basically threatening the future of, of Reading FC. Now there there are some unsubstantiated rumours currently on social media that there's talk of administration coming next after a couple of um, uh, point deductions having failed to basically ring fence the money needed to prove to the EFL that they're able to to support the club. Um, there's a, a sell before we die DAI um, movement on social media as well that is around forcing the owner to to sell up in order to protect the, the future of the club. Like it's. Very sad to see, um, and it always, you know, it's it's a shame that basically every season we have one or two clubs in the EFL where there are genuine existential issues around their future. Um, Ruben Sellers, I think, is doing a magnificent job there. To be fair, like he's, they were severely restricted in terms of the players they could bring in over the summer. Only one or two very good signings: Charlie Savage, uh, son of Robbie's, having a, a decent start from Manchester United. Sam Smith, who got injured immediately after signing, Harvey Nibs, who's a, a decent player. 
Um, but there's a lot of academy grads who are coming through. They basically had to... Um, a few senior pros, Andy Carroll, uh, Neskinis Walker and a couple of others were, were basically cast aside from the squad. So a lot of academy players and they are genu- generally very competitive within games. Um, and I think Seller deserves a lot of credit for that. But there has to be a time where Seller thinks to himself, in terms of his own career progression, does he really want to be at a club that's going to have another point deduction that's going to go into administration? Um, so it's it's sad to see. I mean, hopefully where there are there will be brighter times uh, both on and off the field but right now it, it does feel like we're in a pretty perilous position with Reading. Um, Sonny anyone you wanted to pick out from League One that we haven't covered? Well just to flag up um, Michael Appleton who's come in at Charlton um, and are now unbeaten in five and I must admit I'm not the biggest fan of Michael Appleton I think he's, he's one of those managers who seems to fall upwards uh, and get outrageous statement <laughs> outrageous <laughs> he, statement he seems to get decent jobs and I'm not sure he always deserves it I know he had a a pretty good run at Oxford, but whatever he's doing at Charlton, he seems to be working. Corey Blackett-Taylor as well, who's got uh, four in five, really exciting winger. Um, uh, and yeah, Alfie May up front, who's got now, I think, seven goals. So I think Charlton could be a team to turn it around. But yeah, I must admit, I'm not the biggest fan, not the biggest fan, George, of Michael Appleton. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with Michael Appleton because it's a big no. unit. And no, I, I mean, right. I, I wouldn't necessarily mess with Joey Barton, but you have, George. Mm. You're in a Twitter beef with Joey Barton. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't think he's noticed. Um, but, but, but Joey, um, this was amusing. After the Oxford game on Saturday, um, Joey Barton wasn't happy with anything, basically. He wasn't happy with the result. He wasn't happy with the offici- officiating. Um, you know, I'd probably suggest that he should, before saying that um, an offside goal was level, he should probably wait and actually watch the replay back before making those judgments from his dugout. Um, but he then, you know, the, the the interview was tweeted by BB Radio, Radio Bristol after the game. And Oxford's assistant manager is called Chris Hogg. And an account under Chris Hogg replied to Jer- to the interview with a, a laughing face emoji. Joey Barton has obviously seen that and it's got him annoyed. So he's he's gone to Chris Hogg's Wikipedia page and he's screenshotted the career history of Chris Hogg, which was 150 games for Hibs, a lot of England youth caps, you know, a decent career up in Scotland, nothing like the incredible career of, of Joseph Barton. And he's tweeted it with a crying face emoji, basically saying, look at your terrible career, mate. How are you laughing at me? The only mistake that Joey made was that it was just an Oxford fan called Chris Hogg and wasn't actually the Chris Hogg that he thought it was. And um, I managed to pounce on this and do some decent numbers by saying, telling Joey to, to stay classy. I can't believe he hasn't deleted it yet. But um, yeah, it's been, it wasn't the best Saturday for him. But I should say that Bristol Rovers are impressive. And if, if there's a team that haven't necessarily started the season that well in terms of a points tally, but could challenge in what we've already said is a very open league one, I think. Uh, there's certainly one that could do it. They've got the players to do it. Barton has won a, a promotion out of League Two previously with Bristol Rovers. He took Fleetwood to a playoff semi final, so he's, he's got it in him to do it as well. You're not just backtracking because you're saying, I'll oh, try and say some nice things. I, I don't want to knock on my door <laughs> and I open the door and there's Joey in his cap. Um, anyway, that'll do for part two. We'll do League Two and part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. The football book is out now. Uh, you can get 15% off if you go to the Guardian Bookshop. Link's in the description. It's the guardianbookshop.com slash football hyphen weekly hyphen book. And we um, we decided to do an excerpt in the paper, Ben, of your guide to car parks. I must say, I thought we could have picked a better excerpt. But from Me and you that, both. many things came, including a 15-minute interview on Five Live Drive about car parks, Ben, which is staggering listening, I must say. Yeah, quite surreal. I... Um... 
I, w- I wouldn't say I've been inundated with requests, but you know, it's felt um, it's felt a bit much. It's felt uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tension I never knew that uh, was there. So thank you very much. Mm. No, no, that's okay. But like, did when Five Live rang you? Did they did they say we'd like you to? We're going to base a whole show around car parking. And then interview interview you quite seriously about how to park a car in a yeah, car. Yeah, they were park. like, well, you know, what are your top tips? I was like, well, you know, kind of just want to get there early. It felt quite fundamental stuff. So, yeah, not really sort of a blow by blow. It's not really a hack for a car park, no. is there? You know, it's just find a bay and park it. Yeah, and then on um, BBC Radio Berkshire, they were asking me specifically about the bays at the Medeski uh, Stadium, which was even oh wow, more, you okay, know. <laughs> yeah, so pretty pretty mad. So, so you did the rounds then, Ben? You did, you did the rounds then, like Liz Trust style, where you dialed into all these different radio stations. Yeah, it feels a bit like that. It's mad. It's um, yeah, it's quite surreal. Can't believe it. <laughs> you sound really delighted about it. Not County, uh, uh, top of League Two. Um, a point ahead of Stockport, who are a point ahead of Gillingham, who are a point ahead of Wimbledon, and then you've got Mansfield, Crew, uh, Wrexham, Crawley, all on uh, twenty points. Um, at the bottom, uh, Forest Green uh, and Sutton United uh, slightly adrift on seven. Tranmere and Colchester on ten, and Doncaster on eleven. Um, what, what a what a Notts County! And we we thought, you know, when Wrexham and Notts County came up, Sunny, that the two of them would both push, and they both are. Notts County doing it better at the moment. Uh, yeah, they are, and um, you know, David McGoldrick just continues to just be brilliant. I mean, I think we all we all knew. Dropping down to League Two would would give him just a little bit more freedom because technically he's he's a really great player and he can score. He scores this one goal and it's like a little dink over a goalie that's on rushing. He does he likes that a lot, but then he's got a lot of other goals to his repertoire as well. And Langstaff as well hasn't he's got like some like fifty goals in fifty three games or something like that. There's there's some mad mad stat on on him since he since he joined. I mean you, you've got two strikers there alone who. who um, just doing brilliant things. I think Luke Williams has just done a, a really great job. I mean, I know there's some controversy if I say that that the conference teams are better than the League Two teams. It's not quite true, but there are a section of teams in League Two who would struggle if they went down to the conference and a section of teams who would do very well in, in coming up to League Two and, and Notts County, one of those. Uh, and we're seeing because they're just, you know, well run, well drilled, but they've got goals uh, and, and that wins your games and, uh, you know, Bar that aberration against Sutton on the opening day, that they've been brilliant so far. I mean that is, that is true, isn't it? If you look at Notts County, Stockport obviously came up recently. George, Wrexham as well are sort of in the mix. That that I mean, I felt that when we kept getting out of the conference is almost harder than getting out of League Two somehow. That's why League Two is is looking so challenging this season, is because you've had loads of these sides who come up from the National League are immediately one of the better teams in League Two. But none of them have managed to get promoted. So Stockport are still there. Salford are still there. You know, and suddenly you've got, because of the financial constraints within the National League, were a lot looser than in the EFL. That's why these clubs were so attractive to investors. You know, if you're looking at the, the squads that have the most investment within them, those are going to be the Wrexhams, the Notts Counties, the Stockports, the Salfords. So um, it's, it's become a bit of a, a shark-infested water, I would say, League 2 this season. Um, but I think Notts County deserve a ma- massive credit. I think in Luke Williams, you've got a manager there who, if I was to say one manager out of League 2 who's got the potential to manage at the, at the very highest level, it's got to be him. Because the it's in recent years, teams getting promoted out of League 2, generally it hasn't been those who, who look to play a possession uh, base style but Notts County is liquid total football they dominate possession they get it into wide areas they've got loads of, of really 
talented technical players. Jody Jones uh, on the left-hand side, uh, Dan Crowley through the middle, McGoldrick, of course, who's, who's still a, a wonderful player. So they're, they're one. And then in Stockport, um, a side who in Louis Barry have one of the, well, surely the most talented footballer in, in League Two. Um, a guy who there's just no way he should be playing football at that level at 20 years old uh, on loan from Aston Villa, playing off the left-hand side, scoring magnificent goals every every weekend. Um, so they're, they're the two who are setting the pace at the moment. But you, you know, you'd be surprised if Wrexham don't improve after a start to the season where they've, they've struggled to adapt as quickly, I would say, as, um, as Notts County have. Um, Gillingham a third. I mean, they do have a negative goal difference, which is sort of quite impressive uh, when you're that high up the league. But they, they sacked Neil Harris, Ben. Why did they do that? Yeah, I'm, I think I might be doing something on it this week. A couple of people I've spoken to seem to suggest it kind of boils down to style of play, uh, goals, uh, you know, wanting to be more attacking, all of these things, which, you know, yeah, sounds good. It sounds mad in League Two, good. right? Like, it's League Two. Like, what 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 are, what do the owners expect? Well, I think it'd be because of the likes of Notts County and Stockport, I thought. No, yeah, I guess yeah. So. And I think Neil, Neil, Neil Harris as well, to his credit, I think is quite, I think Neil Harris is a good manager. I think, you know, he's certainly a League One uh, manager, I, I believe. Um so for him to be in League Two, it seemed quite a good kind of catch anyway. Um, feels quite bold. Uh, Kenny Jacket is uh, sort of director of football there and will be picking uh, probably the next manager. Obviously, Gillingham are one of these clubs with American investment, American owner. Uh, Brad Gallinson came in uh, Christmas 22. Um, they were bottom of the league. Were, and obviously- were they the couple that did the sort of hostage video by Christmas Tree? Is that, was that them at Gillingham? Do you remember there's a sort of a, they sort of announced they looked like they were re, they were yeah, you know like we're yeah. being treated very well, <laughs> but it was a really weird one. Anyway, carry on. Sorry, no, I didn't see it. Maybe I should see it. It's it's amazing. It really is amazing. It does genuinely look like they've been forced into buying a football club mm. <laughs> on Christmas Day. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think you know since he's come in, uh, he has maybe transformed, is pushing it. But, you know, the, the fortunes are certainly heading in the right direction again. They, you know, they were staring at going out of the Football League. So they should take a lot of credit for um, investing and um, putting the club on a good footing. But, yeah, it's, getting rid of Neil Harris feels quite a, quite a brave decision. But as, as we're seeing across the league, a lot of clubs, you know, even the Premier League with, with Bournemouth and Gary O'Neill and Iriola, there's a lot of clubs who think that in crude terms that they can do better. Um, and obviously grass is not always greener. Just on Gillingham and when we're talking about style of play, just to give you some one key fact here is that they've scored 11 goals this season in the league, which is the same as Forest Green, who are bottom of the league. So, you know, they've not had a lot to cheer about, even if they have been winning games and doing quite well. Oh, that's very efficient, isn't it? Um, um, George Bradford sacked Mark Hughes um, ahead, ahead of these weekend games. I was sort of really delighted that he decided to sully himself in, in the bottom division after, you know, not an unimpressive managerial career. Do we think this is him done then? What, where do you go from here? Who knows, really? I mean, it was a, a big risk for him to take. I think he basically thought after everything he had achieved, he probably wasn't going to get the kind of jobs he got in the past. So it was the equivalent of loading up a football manager save when you've normally been taking over Premier League teams and thinking, I'm going to take Bradford to the Champions League. And after two years or just under in the job, he's realised that that's actually quite a difficult thing to do. Um, but he did okay for, for the most part. You know, last season he had Bradford's um, uh, just out, so just in the playoffs. They lost in the playoffs semi-final. Um, but with one of the biggest budgets in the league, a massive reliance on top goal scorer Andy Cook. 
uh, where when Cook started this season not in great form, Bradford's uh, points tally basically stalled, and then he scored a hat trick a couple of weeks ago, and they went and they won the game. Like it, it didn't feel like Hughes himself was having a massive positive impact either in terms of, of managerial um, performance or just in terms of you'd think he might be able to recruit some big names at least uh, to the club to, to come and help the cause. So not a massive surprise to see Bradford sat their manager. But they're another one. It's a, it's kind of similar to Stoke in the Championship where you have to just think they've had so many different managers over a period of time with different strengths and different CVs. You know, what is the problem at Bradford? Because they go into every campaign as one of the highest, uh, have, having one of the, the highest spends, having, you know, one of the... Uh, highest expectations for the club but they seem to consistently fall short so it's a big appointment who comes in next Kevin McDonald, the former uh, Fulham central midfielder is in caretaker charge he won his first game in charge against Swindon um, so maybe it'll be the turn to to give a you know a, a, a former Premier League player um, with some decent calibre his first job in, in the game Andy Cook he averages a goal every other game and but he's like a classic archetypal old school striker he's big really good in the air like he's the sort of player who, who wouldn't be surprised to score a hat-trick of headers you know he's the sort of player you can build an entire team around and and you'd think with that in mind Hughes could have really constructed that of course then then you ask the question well if he's not fit all the time is that where they've kind of come undone but yeah uh, where does he go next do you know what the most like Peter Taylor was that jobbing manager wasn't he because he went from like caretaker manager of England mm. to managing Stevenage. You know, he'd just go everywhere and do everything. Uh, and it was a big risk for Mark Hughes and, and fair play to him because he's, he's one of those that he could have just accidentally ended up at West Brom or something. And he, he took a risk on this. I do wonder... He did, didn't he? He probably has. He <laughs> forgotten if he has. <laughs> well... Uh, no, he hadn't. I mean, that's one of those where I just assumed he'd had, a, well, he'd had six go. months there at the in end of the season. Case in point. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Um... Uh, and yeah, I, I do wonder what happens to him next because if anything, it's a cautionary tale for all those other managers who, who could risk going down to a big club and just actually ruin the reputation. But you know, he'll pop up as a director of football mm, somewhere. Mm. He'll, you know, he'll be pulling some strings and trying to bring Alano in somewhere. I don't know, something like that in the future. Yeah, no, you want to see managers who've been in the Premier League be down in League Two because it's a, it's a totally different existence, isn't it? Um, some good news coming out of Southend and Scunthorpe. Southend United have agreed a takeover deal with a consortium headed by Australian businessman Justin Rees, um, who apparently has nothing to do with Southend. He just said, I was watching the story unfold on the BBC thinking, is someone going to take this over? When it became apparent that they're not, it just feels like the right project to do it. Um, three days after my first discussion, I flew to Southend, met some of the management team at Roots Hall and knew I wanted to be involved. Um, so good on Justin, um, if he turns out to be a great guy. Uh, uh, they The deal was announced less than 24 hours before the club were due in the High Court to face a, a HMRC winding up petition. Um, he wanted a new challenge after his career as an IT project manager and uh, a company founder. And uh, Scunthorpe, a bit more uh, sort of usual, uh, local businesswoman Michelle, I think, did an Australian plumber take over Swindon? I think David Squires was telling me that. I don't know if he's a Swindon fan. Clem Morfuni, I mean, definitely not a plumber. Yeah. He might have owned a yes. plumbing business. Well, I mean, yes, I, I think he owned a plumbing business, but you know. <laughs> he's yeah. a jobbing plumber. Yeah. <laughs> I, just to say, I loved the um, the headline on the, or the, or the sub-headline on the, on the Guardian story about Justin Rees. It says, Justin Rees forms consortium to invest in 117-year-old Southend United while travelling around Europe on his gap year. Which just makes you think that is this guy actually 18 years of age? <laughs> it's a liberal That's use so of gap good. here, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, although it is worth saying, George, in Australia, tradies 
do incredibly well. Um, and, you know, the local That's why you're there, isn't has, it? Has the biggest house, uh, you know, on the next street. Um, incredibly envious. I picked the wrong career. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I, just, I really need to move the one of the shelves in the dishwasher up. But I, I just really, I mean, I haven't got around to doing it, but when I do, it'll, you know, it would, it would kind of, it, it would kind of make sense that our economy is so weak that a kid on a gap year from another country could actually come and just buy a football club. It makes perfect sense. Possibly. Um, uh, David, uh, local businesswoman, late Michelle Harness has completed a takeover of Scunthorpe United from David Hilton. Uh, Hilton took over in January, put the club up for sale last month, withdrew all his funding last week. Harness worked as the club's commercial director for 15 years, was previously on the board. So uh, we wish them both a lot of luck. Ian, says when will the woman behind me at Ipswich accept that we play out from the back and stop screaming every time the goalkeeper has the ball at his feet also how long is this pod going to be because I want at least an hour uh, of Ipswich town based gushing we did enough time it does remind me of and um, if you could edit out the language a bit of this Joel a friend of mine uh, is a Luton fan and there was a guy behind him David Priest who is no longer with us but was a wonderful little centre mid left footed came to Cambridge when he was incredibly old but really technically gifted footballer and he'd always pass the ball on the edge of the box. And the guy behind my friend Matt at Luton, every time David Priest got the ball for about five seasons, would just go, Priestie, hit it, you <laughs> Priestie, like, look over and over and over again. It's like this, his whole memory of football is just someone yelling at David Priest like that. What else we got? Uh, A.D. Bryan says, hi, Max, just to let you know that the Smiths did appear on Now, that's what I call music compilations. What difference does it make was on Now 2? Side three was where the alternative tracks tended to appear on the early releases. And Barca Jim, um, the only uh, reaction we got about not liking dogs, uh, uh, owners of dogs specifically, that not everyone, Barry will come to uh, your defence later. Shower of dog-hating bastards. This will not stand from friend of the pod, Barca Jim. Um, So, uh, uh, yes, our apologies. Um, but I thought we'd be cancelled, and we weren't. Um, ben, you're running a half marathon this Sunday. Yes, thank you, Max. Yeah, no, if anybody um, wants to donate, they can uh, do so. I've pinned the tweet on my uh, Twitter page, which felt quite revolutionary in itself. And, uh, yeah, a shameless plug. It's a great cause um, for prostate cancer. And uh, talking of South End a minute ago, actually, I remember interviewing Chris Powell when he ran the London Marathon for Prostate Cancer UK, and he was telling me a story about during his training... Uh, he conked out, I don't know, halfway around and uh, uh, he saw a, a safe place in the local Sainsbury's and then had to get a lift home. So hopefully I'll avoid that fate on Sunday. But if anybody can spare any pennies, uh, greatly appreciated. Which half marathon is it? The Bath half marathon on Sunday. Right. Have you worked out parking? Um, I'm going to get the train actually, Max, okay, I think, because I'm, yeah, I'm, nervous about the, I'm nervous about the parking yeah. situation. I did have an email last night. Oh, what time are you hoping for? honestly don't care about time anything goes just want to get around oh, good luck um, alright that'll do for today um, thanks Ben thanks a lot good luck on Sunday cheers George cheers Max thanks Sunny. nice one Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Danielle Steve. this is The Guardian 